The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Well, good morning. Uh, as we continue on in our equipping series, I have the privilege today to talk with you about the church as God intended. And as I was preparing for today, I was thinking, I think I wrote a paper about that, like back when I was at Prov, and uh, it didn't seem that long ago. And I was able to pull it up on my computer, just so you know, three years before I, I found it, it was 19 years ago that I wrote this, and three years before that, I was still taking notes on cue cards and writing out all my papers, so I'm still that old school, and so, uh, but this one was on my computer, and it will be online if you're interested in reading it. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you today, you'll be happy to know that, but uh, I do want to read you the final two paragraphs of this paper. Uh, they resonated with me, and I, I think they're suitable for this morning. Since Pentecost, the church has been established for all eternity. The church is more than an organization. It's a body of believers created by God in order to give him praise and honor while being a blessing to the people in this world as well. However, there is much more to the church than that. No simple definition can ever truly reveal the nature of the church. The only way the church can be defined is through the interrelated biblical images which each shed some light as to what or who the church really is. God has given the church many tasks which are supposed to be actively obeyed until the time of Christ's return. Evangelism, edification, worship, and social concern are only four of these functions which the church has been in charge with. Even though these roles are commanded of the church, they are not supposed to be burdensome, but rather they are supposed to bring joy to the lives of believers while helping them to grow in their walk with the Lord. They also have a positive effect on those who have not yet come to know Christ and have often been the means by which God has called many into a right relationship with him. But most of all, these functions of the church serve to bring glory and honor to our Almighty Father. That alone is the greatest incentive the church needs in order to be faithful to its calling. So as we talk about the equipping of the church, we need to remember that God did not create us or did not create an organization called the church. He created a people. And what's important for us to realize is that he has intention for who we are to become in him. And that is all of what scripture is about, is who are we meant to be? Who is God and who can we become because of him? And so today we're going to look at the church as God intended and hopefully you find out more and more the type of people he desires for us to be and that we need to be equipped to be. So the first thing is that we are Christ people. Uh, Ephesians 4 is our key passage as we're going through this series. And as you uh, heard Mel share during the, our singing, Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head that is Christ. The church is a body, and the most important thing that we need to know about the body is that it has a head. A body without a head is useless, and the head for us is Christ. And what we need to know as we look at other people in the church who are leading us towards Christ, that are giving us help and being equipped to follow Christ, is that you know if someone is worthwhile leading when in their lifestyle you see a humility that is submissive to God. If you don't see that, don't follow that person because they're not reflecting God. Christ is very humble, very generous, very merciful. And he's also very direct and truthful. He speaks truth and love to us through his word. And that's what us as, as leaders are meant to do. 
And so humility in leaders is very important. And it's important for everybody who's part of the body of Christ. Another image that we think of when we hear of being Christ's people is that Christ is our shepherd. Last week, as Pastor Terry was talking about pastors as God intended, he mentioned that God has created pastors to be the shepherd of the flock. But first and foremost, Jesus is our shepherd. He shepherds everyone. And what a beautiful image. John 10, 14 to 15 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and my sheep know me. As the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for my sheep. And when we hear this word know, this isn't just like an intellectual knowing. It's not just a mental grasp of who his sheep are. It's an intimate relationship with the, with the sheep under his care. And, and that's hugely important for us to know that God knows us and that we know him. Who are we intended to be? Who do we need to be equipped to be? We need to be people who can say, I know my shepherd, I know how to hear his voice, and I know how to follow him. And it needs to be in an intimate relationship, just not a factual one. It's not enough to know just truth. We need to know truth in relationship with God. And we can tell even from this passage that intimacy is important because Jesus says, as the Father knows me and I know the Father. They have an unimaginably close relationship. And God wants us to have that with him as well. Another reason we know this is because, again, the Bible uses many pictures to describe the church. It doesn't just use one. And, you, and it's very dangerous to say, oh, there's the picture I like best, and that's what I think it's like. We need to know a lot of the imagery that the Bible uses. And one of the beautiful pictures that the Bible gives us about the people of God is that we as a people, we as a church, are actually the bride of Christ. There are not going to be millions of brides in heaven. There is one bride. We, the church, are that. And we need to be equipped to live that way on earth now. In Hosea, we have these beautiful words of God to Israel. And this is also applicable to us. He says, I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness. And you will know that I am Yahweh. Those are the words of our God to us. We are Christ's people. It's hugely important for us to know that, to live each day with that in mind. So a question that I have for us today is, as Christ's people, how could we know him together more fully and faithfully? As we want to be equipped as a church that honors God, this is important for us to think of. What can we do together to honor him fully and faithfully. What a beautiful picture. And as we move to the next point, what I want to one of the things I want to point out here is that God has high standards for his bride and he says that he wants us to be his wife in righteousness. And so one of the things that tells us is that Christ also intends us to be a, a holy people. He has that in his mind for us. He wants us to be like him. Ephesians 5 says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her and cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. That's beautiful. It goes on to say, He did this to present himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. 
The bride of Christ is pure and beautiful and holy, and that is us. God says, that is the bride that I'm calling to myself. But we know, and the Bible tells us, 1 John 1, verse 8 and 9 says, that if you claim to be without sin, you deceive yourselves, and the truth is not in you. But if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't have a righteousness in and of ourselves. We have a righteousness that comes from God. It is given to us. And we receive it by the washing of water, by the word. If we as a church want to be a righteous bride, prepared for our king, our husband, we need to be immersed in the word of God, continually letting it shape us. It's important to know that we don't earn holiness but effort is required to receive holiness. And nothing I do makes me holy. But what I do can place me in a position where I'm ready to receive from God and receive his holiness, live in his holiness. Let the Holy Spirit work in and through me, in and through us. Because again, the bride is us. And we need to do everything we can to put ourselves in a place where we're ready to receive the righteousness that God gives us and is for us. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. It's important that we, we saturate ourselves in the word of God and in so doing, allow God to sanctify us, to change us by the knowledge of his word and also to change our hearts. And that's something that we can't do of ourselves. We can read God's word. We can get it into our minds. But God is the one who, who in his grace takes it from our thoughts and puts it into our hearts so that we start living out truth because it becomes more and more who we are. So a question of reflection in this area is, how are we as a church being sanctified in the truth? What's happening in our fellowship that says, yes, we are spending time together in the word of God, and because of that, we are becoming more righteous. We are living more in the righteousness that God is. I hope you feel that on Sunday mornings, especially as we go through books of the Bible and you get to know a book of the Bible well. I hope that we can make use of the scripture studies that allow us to dig in deeper. And I really hope that we're making time to intentionally get together with people to talk about how we are encountering God in his word and how he is prompting us to live for him. Because that should change how we live together. And then we become a holy people. Another question is, where would you say you were in the process of being set apart for God's use? Where would you say you were in the process of being set apart for God's use? This holiness is something that is, we, we have holiness in Christ, we are righteous in Christ, but we're also progressively becoming sanctified. So where are you at in that process? The Bible talks about in God's house there's utensils. Some are made of wood and clay, some are made of gold and silver, some for more noble purposes. And we have to say, Lord, I want you to have your way in my life so you can use me however you want. Make me a gold, make me a, a silver vessel. Make our church that as well. Well, God also intends us to be a, a unique and a unified people. And this is important for us to understand. Again, if we look at Ephesians, 
it, the first verse that we said, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head. But then verse 16 goes on to say this, from him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for the building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. When we see the whole body, from the whole body, that speaks to the idea that we are unified. We need to maintain the unity. God gives us unity. We don't make that up. We might have disagreements that we have to work through and stuff, but we are unified in Christ because we are a body. But we're also unique. And this is the part where it says of each individual part. In this body, God has put millions of people to reflect his image to a world that needs to know him and to glorify himself. And each person is unique. And each person has a special way of reflecting the image of God to the people around them. And each person also has the privilege of having the Holy Spirit shape them more and more into the image of Christ. But it's not enough that we're just part of a body. It's important that we understand that we have a proper work to do. You have a role in the church. You have a place to be used to serve others, to help others grow, to be built up in love. And, and if we're not doing that, that means someone's being hurt. Someone else's faith is being hindered. Because my role and your role, we need one another. And so it's essential that we take time to figure out, Lord, what is it that you're calling me to do within our church family so that I can bless the people, my brothers and sisters in Christ, who are my local church? We need to know those parts. Romans 12 Verses 4 and 5 say this, for, we, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. That's a complex sentence. I just want to highlight a part of it for you. And that's this part. All the members do not have the same function. You have a role in the body of Christ. You have a role in this church that I do not, that the person sitting beside you does not, and only you can fulfill it. And it's your blessing and your privilege and it's your joy to find that out. What does it look like for you to be properly working in the body of Christ? This allows us to know that in Christ, diversity is not divisive, but rather it's essential to true unity. If we want to be unified, each person needs to know how they are specially, uniquely contributing to the body of Christ to build it up again in love. Because that is always the aim, is to build the church up in love. To be a reflection of God to the world around, him, to the world around us. That verse in Romans 12 continues on. It says, we have different gifts according to the grace that is given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. Then it goes on to say, if it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's giving, let him give generously. If it's leading, let him lead diligently. And if it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. God wants to use us for his glory. And we need to know how he's gifted us. What are your unique gifts and talents? Don't for a moment think that you don't have them. 
Because God has given each of us something to glorify him, to give us life, abundant life with him. So we can say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I have life with you. Thank you that I am part of a church family. So the question is, do you know what your gifts are? Are you discovering what they are? And that's the process. You won't just know most likely if you haven't been looking, if you haven't thought about this deeply before, it will be a process of discovery. Um, one of the things that we will be doing throughout February and March is, is going through a book that was written by Don Cousins called Experiencing Leadership. And in session one, there is a, an inventory that you go through and it, it helps you consider what a gift might be for you. And I think it's a helpful tool. To have those self-assessments is, is helpful, but it's just a tool, and it's also a, a self-assessment. In my opinion, if, if you really want to know what your gifts are, you need to have a bit of courage and talk with the people around you who know you and who love you and ask them, what are, what are the gifts that you see in my life? And specifically, when we're talking about spiritual gifts, I believe we really need people to speak into that because I could have the gift of teaching. I could be a good teacher, public school teacher, whatever. I could, I could have a gift to, to teach truth well. But for me, when I hear about it being a spiritual gift, in some way, if a person has the spiritual gift of teaching, when people would listen to that person, they would be drawn to Christ. There'd be something about the way they teach that the Holy Spirit uses to soften other people's hearts so that they come to know Christ. Same with mercy. There's a lot of mercy shown in the world. But people who have the gift of mercy that's a spiritual gift, when they show mercy, in some way people will look and say, I wonder if God's like that. So what's your spiritual gift? And I encourage you again, talk with people about it. It takes courage, but talk with people you know and you trust and let them speak into your life. And then this is the other part. Are you using your gifts in proportion to your faith? Now that's what the Bible says right there. It says, let him use it in proportion to his faith. So we have to ask ourselves, how much are we using our gifts? And what does that actually indicate about the amount of faith that I currently have? And Lord, please increase my faith from here. Because I want my gifts to be used more and more for your glory. It's a good understanding. If you want to know, I wonder how deep my faith is. Say, how, how intentionally are you using the gifts God has given you? Well, God also intends for us to be a relational people. And this goes right down to the very essence of God. There is a beautiful mystery of the triunity of God. When we talk about the Trinity, we worship one God. But that God has revealed himself as existing still in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And one is not the other. They are all unique, and yet they are one God. It's a mystery that we can never explain. You can have a lot of illustrations that will never do it perfectly. It's a mystery, but it's a beautiful mystery. And the one thing that we know about God inside of that trinity is that the role of each person is to glorify the other. There is no competition within the Godhead. There is perfect love. Every wonderful quality that you could expect or wish for in a relationship is in God. 
I don't know where I got it, but as a kid, I think sometimes someone must have told me that, you know, God created people because he was a little lonely. That's totally not true. God has never been lonely. God has never lacked anything good. God just gives. Why do we exist? Because he gives, because he's loving. God is perfect in himself, and he has perfect relationship in himself. And so what does he want his church to experience? He wants our church to experience that with him and with each other. Another picture that the Bible gives of the church is that we are the family of God, with God our Father and Jesus our elder brother. And we are the family of God. And whereas when we hear about the bride of Christ, we might think, well, does that mean we kind of all kind of, you know, like just are put together and we lose our identity? The family of God imagery makes us aware that, no, we are still going to be brothers and sisters in Christ for eternity. We will be unique, and more so when we die and enter into eternity than we are now. If you want to know who you are, just wait till you enter into eternity. You will have never reflected Christ so perfectly and individually as when you're in heaven. That is going to be so fantastic. I believe when I die, the first thing I'm going to see when my eyes are opened is going to be the face of Jesus Christ. And from that point on, every single person I see, they will always remind me of Christ perfectly, but differently, uniquely. And there could be billions of people in heaven, and it will, God is so magnificent that all those people combined with all my different experiences, still, I will be in awe of who God is and say, Lord, I can't know you completely because you are so amazing. We need to be in relationship with each other if we want to know who God is. If you're wondering why maybe you're having trouble, who is God? We need to spend time with believers who are made in the image of God, who have the Holy Spirit in us, because the Holy Spirit is day by day making us more like Christ. So yes, you need to spend time in the Word. That's, that is a must. You need to spend time in the Word and truth, but we need to be together experiencing life in the Holy Spirit and living out the truth that God has blessed us with understanding. One of my favorite verses as far as friendship and relationships in the Bible comes from John 15, verse 15. It says, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. This is the context. He's speaking to specific disciples. And he's saying, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything that the Father told me. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you are my friends. And, and what qualifies someone to be a friend? At least in this verse, look at the word since and what comes after. It says, since I have told you everything the Father told me. God says, He's, he knows, he knows that his disciples are going to desert him, that they're going to flee from him. He's going to be left all alone. And he's saying this to them, knowing that that's going to happen. He says, but you're my friends, and you know why you're my friends? Not because you're so great, because you're so kind to me, but because I have told you everything that God has told me. And that's my display of love to you. You are my friend, and I'm sharing with you what God has given me. I hope that reshapes our understanding of friendship. We have to be concerned to how people treat us, but God says, you give to others what God gives to you, and then you can consider them friends, even if they desert you. Wow, that's a different type of friendship than I've been used to, Lord. 
I'm so glad that your friendship is so faithful and loving and giving. So think of what God has given you and then intend to give it to others. I think Paul felt this way towards the people in Thessalonica. He writes these words in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. You're my friends. I share with you God's word, and beyond that, I share with you intimately from my own life. Those two things go hand in hand. I don't just share with you truth from the Bible. I share with you my life. What a wonderful invitation into relationship. God wants us to be a relational people. Share with you one more verse on this area, and this is from 1 John 1, verse 7. It says this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. It's a nice verse, and you can read it over fairly quickly. Say, yeah, I agree with that, but it's a little bit of a surprise to me when I read this verse, because it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, you'd assume that it would say with God, right? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with God. But it doesn't say that. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Huh. I find that interesting. God wants us to walk with him so that we can walk with each other well. We are created to be a relational people. So a question for you here, how important is fellowship with other believers to you? How important is fellowship to other believers with you? You know, this is one of the reasons why we're putting out this connecting points brochure each season. It's to help you within the context of our church family to say, you know what, I want to grow in my love of this church. Not in the programs of the church, right? The people of the church. We want you to find as many areas as you can to invest in each other. We want to invest in you. I can tell you as leaders, we want to invest in you, but your heart needs to be, how are you going to invest in others and thereby show friendship to them as Christ has shown friendship to you? So, there's this that you can give, this uh, connecting points brochure, and that's partially why we also put in the commitment card. And if you need to, go home, check your calendar, and, and, and just check, yeah, I can attend that. Because then when we put out the sign-up sheet later on, it's sure nice to have a list of people who've already said they're coming, instead of someone being the first person on the list saying, oh, no one else has signed up yet. Right? It's always a little awkward. So that's one of the reasons why we do this. Another question in this area for you is, in order to deepen your relationship with God, how do you need to change the way you relate to others? In order to deepen your relationship with God, how do you need to change the way that you relate to others? The Bible says, if we walk in the light. So maybe we need to evaluate how we walk with people. When I'm walking with someone, is God using me to bring light on the situation? Or afterwards, does it feel like it's kind of gone the wrong direction how do we need to change the way we walk with other people well god also intends us to be a contagious people contagious doesn't usually have a good connotation but i think it's suitable for our purposes today and the verse that came to mind right away comes from 
2 Corinthians 2, verses 14 to 15, and it says this, But thanks be to God who always puts on dis- us on display in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and also among those who are perishing. So how are we a contagious people? Because God says that it's through us that the fragrance of his knowledge is spread everywhere. That's why it's important that we're grounded in the word and that we're holy, that we understands our gifts, that we're relational, because all those things have a way of impacting the people around us with the good news of Jesus Christ. The Bible says it's like an aroma, a pleasing aroma for those drawn to Christ and, and a, an aroma of death to those who are not interested in Christ. So we are a pleasing aroma. A question here then is, in what ways are we an aroma of Christ among others? You can think of that question for you individually. How am I that in my family, in my workplace, in my social activities? But it's important for us to ask that as a church. How are we that? And that doesn't mean that all of us have to go somewhere together, but where two or three are gathered, that, that's where God is in his church, right? Because people see fellowship there differently. How are we getting outside of the walls of this church so that God can spread his aroma with the knowledge of him. We need to intentionally be taking time to do that. Uh, our upcoming uh, family meal and equipping seminar is, has a focus of honest evangelism. Um, a few weeks ago, a friend gave me a book by Rico Tice, and it's called Honest Evangelism, How to Talk About Jesus Even When It's Tough. Uh, Our focus is going to be honest evangelism, how to share Christ with those you love, with people you love. And it's important for us to think about, if I'm going to impact others for Christ, how is that happening naturally and authentically through my life? Or is it always like a switch has to go on? Oh yeah, now's the time for me to do that. As if my life wasn't spreading some sort of an aroma before. Right? We're sharing that. Whatever, the, whatever is our aroma, it's, it's coming all the time, and we want that to be the aroma of Christ. And so a question here is, uh, for us to think of, first of all, is how was I impacted by others? What was a, about someone else that in some way gave me a glimpse of who Christ was and started drawing me towards Jesus? I'm sure if you think through your past, there will be certain people who you will look at and say, yeah, that person, just the way they lived, in some way, it represented Christ to me. And, and how they lived was contagious. I, I want that. And another question is, in what ways could you be a better testimony for Jesus today? If you're thinking intentionally about your life, how could you be a better testimony for Jesus today? And, and I don't think it's going to be when you think, okay, now I'm intentionally going to say these things to people. I don't think that's the preparation that's needed. The preparation that's needed is, how am I preparing myself to every day walk humbly with God and to surrender to him so I receive his holiness? Put your intention into the preparation of how you're going to live your day and not into specific encounters. Because that always seems a little bit manipulative. But when we put our effort into just surrendering to God so he can make us more like him, that becomes contagious and I don't have to think about it too much. And I start talking about what I really love because I talk naturally about things that I love. 
one of the reasons why we've offered two courses here in the past. One was called Who I Am in Christ that talks about core qualities of who we are in Christ. And the other one is Understanding Your Story with Christ, which talks about us recognizing God's gracious call on our lives. Even when we weren't even thinking of him, he's always been calling us to him. The more we think about these things naturally, the more we talk with others naturally. And so that's, I think, what honest evangelism is. So I, I hope that you will take some time and, and come to the meal on the first Sunday of February and also the next one that will be in March. All right, well, the last point for us of what God intends us to be is an honoring people. And we read these words in 1 Peter 2, verse 17. It says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. You know, you'd think that the only point would be honor God. But God doesn't say just that. Of course, he says that's first and paramount, but he says, honor others. And if you want to know this, you can do a bit of a Bible study on this. Here are a, a few ways that the Bible says that, or people that we are supposed to honor. First of all, it says, honor your father and mother. That's the, the first command that the Bible says that has a promise. And then honor your spouse, honor your elders, honor widows, honor your spiritual leaders. Honor spiritual brethren. Honor your supervisors and your employers. Honor political leaders. And then again, reminding us, honor God. Honor is very important to God. And that's one of the things we need to give to this world is honor. Because every person is made in the image of God. And God wants us to respect that about them. He also wants us to respect that he's sovereign. And he's in control. So let's honor him. One last verse in this theme here, and this is Romans 12, verses 9 to 12. It says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Honor people above yourselves. So the last two questions for today. What does it mean for us to honor one another? When you think of our political leaders, when you think of, when we think of the police force, when we think of your boss, your spouse, what does it mean to honor them? Because God commands us to do that. And finally, in what ways can you honor someone above yourself? And who do you intentionally need to do that? Because maybe you haven't been honoring them as God wants you to. As we close our time thinking about the church as God intended, uh, it was mentioned before, we have blueprints of, of a, a beautiful building, a beautiful facility that I believe God has been leading us to. We've had men and women working very hard on, on making a plan for us moving to our new property to have a new facility where the church can meet. And it's important that we, we think about these things diligently and prayerfully and that we say, Lord, we want this building to be the wisest building we could build and that will serve the needs of our church. We just need to remember that the building is not the church. It's so easy to say but forget that the building and the programs, that's not it. The church is us. And that's one of the reasons why now over these next weeks we've said we really need to focus on what it means to equip the body of Christ so that we're prepared for what God has in store for us and that we can be a blessing to others.
There's a unique thing that happens amongst musicians when they're good. They've done lots of practicing, they're comfortable with the work they're doing, and they're playing or singing together. When they get very intensely singing together or playing together or whatever, something happens between them that's almost magical or mystical. And the players tell me that they don't, if they're piano players, they don't know where their fingers are. They're not thinking of what's happening. They're not worried about what part they play. And everybody listening gets caught up in it. That's absolutely unique. I read about this in a secular book. I'm not talking about preaching, but boy, does it fit. Church family. Boy, does it fit binding us together if we could get excited enough about it and focused enough about it that it becomes a dynamic power unique for others to sing and praise God with. We sang at the first, I am nothing without you. And the truth is, it's not just I'm nothing without God, I'm also nothing without me. Right. You're part of the sermon this morning. And we are a, we are a family. And when we function humbly under God, we don't have static between us and God and Honestly, we don't have static between us and others. It's only when we get obsessed with ourselves. My gift now in my life is to bless you. And I'm here blessing. But you know, people say I've helped them no end here. Or I can't do that by myself. You know that. You have to be willing to accept it. It has to be a group event. It has to be a, an I-we that allows God's spirit to touch us all. So, oh God, we have sung, bind us together without thinking about the profound implications of what you had in mind. We're just so far off base that we need to refocus and rethink what our relationship with you and with one another is. Give us, O oh God, the humility and the mercy and the grace to meet you and each other under your umbrella of love. Amen.